Hi, friends. This is episode 23 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. Hey, thanks, friends. Thanks so much for joining us again. I have to tell you, I'm so excited by all of your emails, your messages to me, sharing what a revolution God is having in your life as you're looking at Scripture to truly see what it says about His character and just all of the ways it's changing your lives. And I'm so thankful to be on this journey with you because it's changing my life, too. You're having a huge impact on my walk as well. I want to remind you, you can go to our website, thebiblelab.com, for all of your resource needs. We've got the Bible study guide there, the very same one that we used when we went through this during the live session. And so I want to make sure that you know that's available to you, so head on over to our website. And if you get a chance, sometime go to iTunes or whatever service provider you're using, click subscribe on the podcast, and if you feel impressed or, or passionate about leaving a review, We love to have those because it helps other people as they're scrolling through the different podcasts to know that this is a quality one that will really have a deep and positive impact on their spiritual growth. Now today in this episode, I'm telling you, if you only could listen to one episode of the Bible Lab podcast, this is probably the one to listen to because this is probably one of the most revolutionary keys to understanding how do you live the life you've always dreamt of having? How do you have that closeness with God that's that's not fake, it's not a facade, but truly from the inside out, you've changed, you've grown into the likeness of God. There are some tools here. In fact, I'm going to mention later on, there is a power tool that if you put it into practice, I'm telling you, your life is going to absolutely absolutely changed. And I can't wait for you to discover that as you prayerfully listen to this episode today. So say a quick prayer right now that the Holy Spirit will speak specifically to you what he wants you to know about his character. Welcome to the Bible Lab. Here we go. You ready? Number one, the person sitting next to me is going to heaven. I see a bunch of, I see, oh my word, you guys. I see a bunch of yeses, but what's going on over here? What's happening? These two ladies are saying, maybe? Afterwards, I want you two to stay. We're going to have special prayer for you. We're all going to surround you. All of the yes cards are going to surround you. Pray for your salvation. Oh, my word. I love this group. (laughs) Number two. For the most part, humans are naturally good people. For the most part, humans are naturally good people. Oh, we are split. It looks to me to be 50-50, yes and no's, with a bunch of maybes. I'm, I'm counting... I'm counting at least 20 maybes. Okay. We're going to talk about that quite a bit today. So I'm actually glad you're split on this because we need to dive into human nature. Number three, in my experience, unchurched people act just as kind, if not kinder, than church members. Yes or no? Oh my word. Look at all of you wounded churchgoers. 
I am looking at a sea of green, probably 95% yes, and the rest are saying maybe because you don't have the guts to say no. <laughs> so, all right, you can stay. Number four, God needs us to build up our willpower so that we can follow his decrees. God needs us to build up our willpower so that we can follow his decrees. I am seeing a lot of no's. I'm seeing some yeses. I'm seeing about 15% yeses and the rest no's. And those of you that think every statement I make is a trick statement are saying maybe. <laughs> You're the smart people in the room, by the way. I'm not saying anything about the rest of you. And number five, last one. God wants us to be self-controlled. God wants us to be self-controlled. Look at all of you historically churched people saying yes. Some of you are saying no. In fact, I, I think I saw about 80% yeses, about 10% no, and the rest maybes. We're going to talk about that today. Does God want you to be self-controlled? That's the church I grew up in. You got to be self-controlled. Come on, get that willpower. What are you doing? Running around, doing what you're doing. God's looking down, and he's seeing your actions, and the Holy Spirit is on your shoulder whispering while the fun guy in the red suit is shouting in your ear, let's go have fun. Have some willpower. Get yourself self-controlled. That's the church I grew up in. It's probably the church that many of you grew up in as well. So I'm not surprised by the yeses and nos that I just saw go up there. What happened Share. to the, the last of the gifts of the Spirit? I'm, I'm sorry, say it again. The last of the gifts of the Spirit. Oh, a fruits of the Spirit. Yeah. Fruits of the Spirit. The fruits yeah, of the, the Spirit. Fruits of the Spirit. Yeah, so the last of the fruits of the Spirit is self-controlled. Let me ask you, Sharon. According to, and you quoted uh, Galatians chapter 5. Verse 23, self-control, who is it that God is challenging to produce self-control? Is it you? Oh, because Galatians 5.22 says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in your life. I like the New Living Translations version of it. That's why I just quoted that one. The Holy Spirit does something. This session has the possibility, and I've been praying all week about this, this session has the possibility to go to a depth that we've gone before, because we've gone very deep, but this session has the possibility, if we'll let it, if we'll let the Holy Spirit do what he does, there is the possibility today that we will go to a depth that a group this size typically never goes if we see what the Holy Spirit can do in our lives. Now, mind you, this class does, we fight against a natural tendency. Most Bible classes open up, look at a scripture and say, what does this text say about me? This class does the opposite. We don't want to know what it says about me because that's depressing. When we open up scripture, we want to look and say, what does this say about God? So today, fight the urge to look at these verses and say, so what does this say about me? 
We already know what it says about us. We're horrible people, okay? Let's look past that today, and let's see what does the Scripture say about God, and specifically the personhood of God the Spirit. And so today, as we go into this, I want you to truly look and say, what is it that I can see in the characteristics of the Holy Spirit that I possibly have not seen nor plugged into my life before? And that's where we're going. But before we get there, I want us to do a little history sharing. So I got to ask you, get your cards ready. When you were an adolescent, did you view religion as something that brought your life more freedom or less? As an adolescent, did you view religion as something that brought you more freedom or less? Not now, just as an adolescent, okay? I love the freedom of church. Okay, cool. Very good. I went to a very, very small church in northern Wisconsin, and I went to a public high school. Uh, consequently, knew what I should be doing and what I should not be doing, and so one, one had to uh, be very, very careful in terms of what you did and what you didn't do. On the other hand, there were some very interesting things that happened because I stood up for what I believed. Number one, I, in an English class, everybody had to uh, try out for the junior class play, and I won the lead, and then had to go and tell them, you know, well, part of the performances are going to be on Friday night, so I can't do it. And they changed the time for me. But more importantly than that, uh, graduation had always been on Sabbath, and I was valedictorian of the class, and so... And so I was supposed to make a speech at it, and so I had to go and say to the principal, you know, uh, you know, make somebody else be valedictorian. I'm not going to be going to a school in Wisconsin. Uh, you know, I can't attend graduation. And the school, for the first time, I think, in history, changed graduation date to Sunday for me. Oh, my You never know who's sitting around you, okay? <laughs> sit a little taller, people. Sit a little taller. That is amazing. Can I sit down and can you lead the rest of the class? Because I guarantee it'd be a lot better. Over here. Can you repeat the question one more time? Just Yes. Yeah. Uh, when you were an adolescent, did you view religion as something that brought your life more freedom or yeah. less? Less freedom. <laughs> yeah? I grew up in, uh, in a church in a community where uh, it was all about rules and regulations. And, um, you know, those were, those were the two R's that kind of lived by. So yeah. I looked at it as less. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I got some Love It cards up there. Yes, sir. When I was six years old, uh, a little lady down the street started a branch uh, Sabbath school on Sunday morning. Her name was Jenny Lillane, Jack Lillane's mother. He went to Golden Gate Academy. Some people don't know that. And he, uh, she taught me freedom in Jesus. From the time I was 10 years old, I didn't know anything else but freedom. And just one last comment. When I got married, uh, I was playing baseball, basketball, football, but it was a lot more fun to be with my wife, so I stopped those things. 
You're not only testifying about Jesus, you're testifying about your wife. That's awesome. Uh, growing up in the South Bronx in New York City, I always tell my husband that I'm envious that he did not grow up Seventh-day Adventist because my thing is when someone would say, so what, where do you go to church? You know, because everybody was Catholic where I lived. I would say, oh, you know, what do we believe in? Well, we can't go to the movies. We can't go. We can't wear makeup. We can't dance. We can't, we can't, we can't, we can't, we can't. So mm -hmm. that was definitely less, less, less. Yeah, definitely. Yes, a lot of people shared that type of experience. Uh, back here. Um, I was an atheist till 27, age 27. So for me, religion has always seemed very restrictive for me. Mm -hmm. And then when I became a Christian, it confirmed that for about... <laughs> <laughs> so for, for about 30 years, it was about that. Mm. And 2015, God yeah. opened my eyes and showed up to me. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Over here. Well, I grew up as a Roman Catholic, uh -huh. went to parochial school, and th this was pre-Vatican II, which was a seismic change in the Catholic Church. But when I, as I grew up, it, big emphasis on hell and damnation. And you, if you're lucky, you'll make it, but you probably won't. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wasn't ever told that, but I felt that. Yeah, yeah. This is a consistent theme that many of us grew up with. The sense of rules and regulations, hell and damnation, restrictions, restrictions, can't, can't, can't. I've spoken in, in previous sessions about how theology is a pendulum ever swinging. Unfortunately, during especially the 60s through the 80s, that pendulum swung about as far as it could to the radical legalistic right. Not just for our denomination, but for pretty much the religion of Christianity. A misunderstanding of the character of God and what God wants. That's why many of you, when we started out a little over a year ago, and I, I started with eight sessions of the misconceptions of the character of God the Father, it was revolutionary for us because we looked and we said, really, that's what God wants and that's what God, God wants bad people in heaven, it says so in the Bible? When you look at how church was presented or represented to those inside or outside, for generations church has been seen as something that restricts you, and God is seen as someone who judges you. And not only was God seen as someone who doesn't help you, but the church was seen as an institution that would not help you. They both would judge you, and they would judge you as worthy or unworthy. And all of us, feeling like facades and frauds, would go to church just hoping that one day something would shift, something inside us would change, so that the outside would match what we want the inside to be, but the outside was typically a facade. Today can be absolutely revolutionary to all of us who grew up in an understanding of the character of God as one who judges us when we see what God actually 
wants to supply to us. And I see a couple of comments. Can I come back to you as we go through this verse? I guarantee it's probably going to be related because we're going to filter through this verse, the question that we just asked. And so we're going to come back to it. So hang on to that microphone. I'll come back to you next. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 9, we're going to start. We're going to come back to Romans chapter 8. But we're going to start with these uh, five verses, verses 5 through 9, which says, Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Verse 9, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if... You have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. Here, Paul sets up a dichotomy two separate groups of people. Very simple those who live by the flesh and those who live by the Spirit. So the first question we have to ask is, what do you think being dominated by the sinful nature means? What does it mean to be dominated by the sinful nature? Right. Self-control. Self-control. Very simple answer, but very deep answer. Because the very first word is what? Which is the very same first word of self-righteous isn't it? What was the problem when Jesus came and the pastors didn't recognize him? In fact, the pastors were the only people who were criticizing him and contradicting him and ultimately crucifying him. Their biggest issue with Jesus is Jesus looked and said, you are self-righteous. You're the blind leading the blind because you are not God-righteous. You are self-righteous. You're trying to do it on your own. And Paul says, if you try to do it in your own human nature, you can't please God. That's why later in Scripture it says, your righteousness is the same as filthy rags. Your best effort. In fact, Jesus himself said in John 6.62, your human efforts accomplish nothing. It is the Spirit who brings life. The best you can do is not even the worst that God can do. Okay? Over here. Jay. Yeah. Roy, I've felt recently that, especially from this text, those that uh, think about sinful things, and maybe it's not just the sinful people that are thinking about sinful things, but maybe it's most of us 
that are thinking about the sinful things. It's kind of like when you're driving a car, you know, if you are trying to avoid something going into the ditch or whatever it is, and if your eye is going to that direction, that's the way that you are headed. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that this brings to mind is more and more I sense that a lot of our religious and spiritual experience is a very narcissistic focus, and we're worried about how holy am I what am I doing or not doing? And we're not thinking about anybody else. We're just thinking about ourselves. I agree a thousand percent. I know that's impossible. But I agree with that completely. My opinion, and that's all it is, my opinion, is that for the last several generations, church has become so self-focused. And even the carrot that we put out to entice people to come join us is a selfish carrot. You want to go to heaven? Then you better come with me. If you want what you want, do what I want, because that's what God wants. And it's become so self-centered that people are excited about heaven, but not excited about seeing God. They're, they talk about water skiing on the back of dolphins and sliding down the neck of giraffes, but they don't talk about running up and hugging God the Father. It's self-focused. I've said many times that uh, from the perspective of, of giraffes and dolphins, uh, if you're a really, really bad giraffe and you're not going to make it uh, to the good place, your eternity will be having people slide down your neck. So all bad giraffes go to heaven. Yes, that's their punishment. Back here. Growing up, I had a mother and father that were very much in love with the Lord. And they would say to me, well, do you want to be doing that when Jesus comes? Do you want to be doing this or that? If I was dating someone and what are you going to do? Do you want to be doing that when Jesus comes? I'll tell you what, that really gets to you as a child, as oh, a yeah. teenager. Yeah. Do I want to be doing that when Jesus comes? Yeah. You probably have one of the most limber necks because you're always looking over your shoulder <laughs> because is, is this the time? And that's, I love it that you brought that up because that's another layer to what we've done to the most beautiful relationship offered in the whole universe is we've talked about a date. Or will you be ready on that day? You better have a lot of fun now, and we better show you the chart to show you this is the sign, it's getting close, and by the time you see this sign, you better get serious. Well, we haven't seen that sign, let's go party. And we've made it about a fire insurance policy. We want to be insured against the fires of hell, and so we pay our policy, and we keep up to date, but we don't truly get serious about looking at fire causes in our life until we see the signs of the end. That's why I don't preach the signs of the end. Oh, I'll teach about it. We'll talk about it, but I don't emphasize the time of the end because the fact is some of you that your time of the end, and we've experienced it just within the past few weeks, there are seats here that are that were occupied by a couple of individuals that their end has come. 
it's horrible. I miss them terribly. But if I had taught them to wait for a specific sign, I would have been doing a disservice to them because their time has come. And the next thing they'll know, opening in their eyes and seeing the most beautiful scene in the history of the universe. So from that standpoint, getting away from protecting yourself so you get what you want and shifting your focus to having the relationship you've always wanted with God is the change of everything. But what we've seen here is that if we just try to be good people, and many of you raise your yes card, you know, humans are naturally good. I would say humans are naturally courteous. You have the outliers. We see them on the road here all the time. And you try to be courteous and not swear at them or give them sign language or whatever because you're the courteous majority. I would say most people are courteous, but I would not say most people are good from a spiritual standpoint because the only thing that's good is God. If you have God in you, you have good in you. If you do not have God in you, some of the nicest people, some of the most courteous people I know do some of the most despicable things you can imagine because they in themselves cannot control the urges within. You are not stronger than Satan, and he will do everything possible to derail you from having a relationship with God from being a tabernacle of the Spirit of God. And so from that standpoint, as courteous as a human is, there is no goodness separate from God. They are courteous, they look out, they're philanthropic, but true goodness can only come from God. Right here. I have to say that this brings kind of tears to my eyes because... I'm a product of a three-generation Adventist family, and I couldn't wait to leave. Mm -hmm. And uh, just recently, and within the last few months, I've come back for some answers because of the state of the world and the events that I see as prophetic that I learned in childhood. And I was, I'm here by invitation by somebody that a stranger in church over there invited me, and I'm grateful. Thank you. Oh, praise God. Yeah. And you're part of our community. You're no longer a stranger. You're amongst friends. Thank you so much. Um, back here, yeah. Um, hi. Good to have you back, David. It's good to be here. Um, I grew up in, in northern Michigan in a small town. And I had a somewhat similar experience with this lady, except I wasn't valedictorian by no means. I went to academy. But, you know, I didn't mind all the rules. I saw how the Adventists, how they stuck with it, were very successful, good jobs, good careers, healthy lives. And the Adventists that left the church because of the rules, you know, they wanted to smoke and drink and party. They had problems, you know. And here, you know, I retired at age 56. I stuck with it. But anyways, what we missed is what you just mentioned earlier is... Like when you talk about we are the temple of God, you know, God is with you. But I don't think Adventists understand that it's through God's power that when Jesus walked on the earth, he was victorious. 
And when he was on the cross, he was victorious. So we can claim that victory in our daily lives. So that's what it's all about is the sin that we deal with. The sin, we all contend with sin. Whatever it is, every day we can say, Lord, this is the sin that I, that I know about. I've evaluated my conduct. I want you to take this sin. I want you to nail it to the cross. So it's Jesus Christ that nails it to the cross. It's not us. You know, Paul in Galatians says our personal determination is nothing. You know, we can't. But... We can claim Jesus' victory when he, when he was alive, walked on the earth and on the cross. We can claim that. He yeah. can take care of the sin in our lives. And that's what it means when we are, you know, this, uh, that God dwells in us, you know, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. I, I heard all of that when I was yeah. a kid, but I never grasped that all we got to do is ask Jesus to take our sinful nature and take it, you know? That's, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I grew up with that same style of, of theology where when they mentioned the temple of God, I thought it was about not eating unclean meat, which that's not what it's about. Although it's good to follow Leviticus 11 and make sure that we're eating properly and we're healthy, but it wasn't about being a vegetarian or a vegan or, or not, eat, not eating pepperoni pizza. That's not what it was about. It's about the fact that God himself wants to tabernacle himself in you to do something amazing. I see some hands up, and I'm so sorry. Can, can we move to the next question? Because I really want us to, to, to get to the ultimate key, and not just the key, but that key opens up a toolbox that has a power tool, not just any tool. This is a power tool, because the question is, what does it mean to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. What do you think that means, being controlled by the Holy Spirit? Growing up, I would hear, well, you need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. You know what I heard? You need to get a little weirder, okay? Because those Holy Spirit people, they say they're controlled by the Spirit, but they just seem out of control. And so it was a fear for me of losing control to give it over to the Holy Spirit. Greg. When we, are, when we lose control and are discourteous, does the Holy Spirit leave us? See, this is one of our challenges. We think that God gets so offended by our natural behavior that he leaves us. I'm so offended I cannot even be in the same room. That's what a human does. That's human nature. The Holy Spirit is there, and the Holy Spirit is not there, not based upon your behavior, but based upon your invitation. Have you invited the Holy Spirit to tabernacle himself in? Because I guarantee you've had the experience when you've asked the Holy Spirit, please go with me, help me to have the right words to say, help me not to lose it in this conversation. I know this can be really tense. And you get there and you say something and you start to say something and then you stop saying that thing and then you back up a little bit. It's the Holy Spirit in you changing you. He doesn't leave because you said, I'll let you be in control, and then you took control. He's like, I'm offended. I'm leaving. No. He's there saying, look, there's another way. There's another way. Think about it. Think about it. Don't say that. Oh, back it off a little bit. Okay? God is love, and if you're going to show God's love, let's say this in a gentler way. It's the Holy Spirit in you. We have unfortunately grown up, many of us, with the idea that God is so easily offended. Any of you have pets? You have pets? Uh, we, we have two little dogs, a little black one, a little white one, Bigsby and Bouchon. Bigsby, his full name's Colonel Bigsby, 
because he's a very small little white dog, and uh, he needed some sort of rank in order to help him with his <laughs> self-esteem. We call him Biggs for short, once again to reinforce size doesn't matter. You're a big dog on the inside. We love these dogs, okay? To us, they're perfect. We absolutely adore these dogs. Do these dogs offend us? Yes. Do I kick them out and say, you're never coming back in until you start to show me I can let you back inside? No. We look at the dog and we say, look, you only have this level of maturity, this level of knowledge, this level of a brain. And I don't mean to be offensive, but I imagine God does the same thing to us. <laughs> and if I was to be quite honest, he probably has to stretch that a lot farther. His understanding, his patience, his kindness. Because we, as his created beings, he loves us dearly. He wants us to live according to how he'd like us to be trained. He wants us earth trained. But unfortunately, we have accidents and we make mistakes. But he does not. The Bible says more than 11 times he will never leave you nor forsake you. You can ask him to leave and he'll leave because he's courteous. But if you invite him to come, he will stay. It is not based on your deeds, lest anyone boast. Okay? Yes. To answer your question a couple of minutes ago, in my life, I found I had to die the self-direction allow the Holy Spirit to take over. Yeah. And then the righteousness of the law was fulfilled, except when I forgot to die. Yeah, and that's the hardest thing, especially in the areas that we are either gifted or, or have great knowledge within that area. We, you know, we talked several weeks ago about doing your best and God does the rest. It's a great saying, but it's horrible theology. God says, let me do it all, okay? Because your best is filthy rags. And by the way, I'm a linguist, a biblical linguist, and so I, I look into these things. The Bible does not say filthy rags, although what it does refer to is filthy. It's talking about the menstrual rag a woman um, puts down there while she's menstruating. That is so ceremonially unclean that if you touch it, according to Jewish belief during the time of Jesus, if you touch it, you are out of saving range of God because you are filthy until you go through a ceremonial cleansing. And so uh, your best is that bad. Yes, back here. Uh, <clears throat> building on two things that people mentioned, I think as a child converting to the church, uh, I heard the same thing. You don't want to be here, but I didn't get it the same way because the Bible lab really has changed me not because of the lab but learning what the true nature and character of God is as a 10 year old in the church the Sabbath school teacher would say you don't want to be in the movie I'd say I don't want to I literally said in class much to her horror I don't want to be in the toilet if the ceiling's gonna open up and all of the heavenly hosts are watching I don't want to be in the shower there's a lot of places I don't want to be this doesn't make any sense about the character of God and what we have learned about the Holy Spirit indwelling and it happening naturally related to the uh, gentleman that commented earlier last night 
on the way to deliver flowers to another church on Barton Road here, there was a lady driving, and it's not about gender, there was a person driving <laughs> with her lights off, or, or the person's lights off. <laughs> and I was honking my horn and yelling, and she was leaning forward, peering into darkness, focused on driving. And I, and I thought about the lab, and I thought, you know, the Holy Spirit indwelling illuminates our path. And if we allow it, it, not, it is not about us. It keeps others around us safe, and it helps to save others. From I drove all the way into Alabama a Street, and the lights were off, and I was yelling, your lights are off! And peering <laughs> forward on the own self-righteousness was determined to keep going forward into darkness. And I yeah. think that's what happens to us. I think you're right. I, I think we're so, we, we, get, we get just enough info and just enough answers to say, if, if I just keep doing this, I've been told it works, so I just, it's just not working for me yet. You know, results not typical. I saw the white words at the bottom of the screen. I'm just going to keep doing it. Regarding your uh, comment about Jesus coming when you're on the toilet, I, I always, uh, you made me think of a verse in the Bible. I've always thought over our children's uh, rooms in the back of our churches, you know, the glassed-off room for the babies and stuff, that we should have 1 Corinthians 15, 51, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I digress. Yes, sir. Um, uh, just reflecting on uh, what I think it means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, I think one of the biggest sins that we have is, is fear, and, and to be controlled by the Holy Spirit is to no longer be controlled by fear, because yeah. I think when we have fear, we are self-centered. Yeah. We're thinking about a world without God, and if we only have that fear rightly placed, fear of God, and, and I think that is in a positive sense just being focused on God. If you're going to have your fear, put it in, in Him. God is going to be there for us, and he's going to control uh, all of our, our fears. And then without fear, then uh, we're, we're truly uh, in union with him. Thank you. That literally brought us to the depth that I wanted us to be. Perfect, la perfect love cast out all fear. And here specifically, even this text talks about it. Can you imagine your life free from fear? There are so many things within your life calling, your life purpose that you either have not done or you're failing to start or you're starting and stopping because of your fears, because you think God in some way needs you to do it. The reality is that he says, all I need you to do is be controlled by the Spirit and you will then no longer fear because it's no longer you doing it. It is God at work in you, performing the, the works that he created you to do. I want you to take a look here at uh, Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and 27, at the bottom of your front page here. Because hundreds of years before Paul shares with the people, it's a different time. The Holy Spirit does not have free reign like he does after Pentecost. Jesus had not paid the price to the devil and bought us back, paid the ransom, 
And so the Holy Spirit had to operate a little differently and independently upon special people. But in Joel, we see that God says, in the last days, I will pour out my Spirit onto all people. And so even during the time before the Holy Spirit was available to all people, God lets his people know his plan. In Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, it says, and I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. He says, look, when you invite the Holy Spirit in, he changes you. Completely changes your heart. Can take one of the most ornery cusses you know and make them into a dear, sweet old saint. If they invite the Holy Spirit in. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 4 when he's talking to a woman at the well, a Samaritan woman. He says, if you drink the water I give you, it will become in you a spring welling up to eternal life. In the Greek, it's in the middle tense, which says when you invite the Holy Spirit in, it will well itself up in you. You are no longer in control. And so as you look here, what is the key to being in right relationship with God and doing all the things you want to do and being able to have the power tool to not do the things that you just can't quit doing? One thing, invite the Holy Spirit in. It truly is that simple. For sake of time, let's turn the page over and let's read the next four verses of Romans chapter 8. I'm sorry, it says 5 through 8, but it's actually 10 through 14. And it says, and Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So, looking at this, God's greatest desire is that you invite the Holy Spirit to live in, live in your heart. What do you think God is trying to tell you by connecting the fact that the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is the one who can also live in you and perform the same resurrection for you? And while you're at it, does that resurrection happen only at the end or might it happen even now? What do you guys think? Even now? Okay. So let me back up. I I have to ask you probably the the most urgent question on, on my heart right now. We're all here saying we want the Holy Spirit to live in our heart. We want to do good. We don't want to do bad. Why is it so important to God that we do good and not bad? What's so important to God about that? I remember Graham Maxwell. I wish I would have been around down here when he was uh, doing his Character of God series uh, back in the mid-'80s. But I recall a consistent phrase he would say over and over and over again. 
One time he set up the scene. He says, imagine you're sitting around the table, God sitting there with you guys at the table, and he asks you a question. Do you love me? And you reply, oh, yeah, I, I love you. Yeah, we, 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 we do. We love you. And God says, good, because if you don't love me, I'll kill you. <laughs> so can I ask you again? Do you love me? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we, 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 we love you. What does your theology say about God? Why does God need you to do good? And why are you punished if you do bad? Is it God saying, if you don't love me and you don't follow me, I'm going to kill you? So do you love me? There's problems with that theology, isn't there? Harvey. <clears throat> when we do bad, we have separated from God. There's no relationship. Okay. In the absence of relationship, we cannot survive. Hmm. We will die because only God keeps us alive. Yes. And so the purpose of doing good is the consequence of God living in us mm -hmm. to bring about a more and more intimate relationship with him, mm -hmm. which is his joy and becomes our joy. Yes. There's only one out there who wants to save you. And there's one out there who wants to kill you. God does not want to kill you. He wants to save you. Exactly. Yes. I have a lot of stuff to say, but I'm only going <laughs> to say that I'm not from um, California. I'm from New England. Yeah. And, and this is just an example of something, and you can all explain it yourself. So uh, yeah. when I was a kid, we had to rake up the yard every fall. So we had this big oak tree in front of our yeah. yard. Just to explain it, other parts of the world <laughs> leaves fall <laughs> around the months of September through November. And they turn colors, too. I'll explain later. This, yes. this tree never turned colors, though. It okay. pretty much went from green just right to brown. Died. And yeah. it was massive leaves, and it took us hours like all fall to rake up this tree like and never dropped them all at once yeah. and eventually all the other trees the maples and all that they would drop their leaves but this oak tree still had leaves all over it, these these big giant leaves and it didn't matter what happened how much the wind blew or how cold it got those leaves were still on that tree a whole bunch of them like sometimes there'd be a few of them on the snow but come spring it was still going to drop a lot of leaves yeah. Right? Because they were coming, right? It just So the cold would come, the wind would blow, nothing. They'd stay on that tree no matter what. But it wasn't until the sap began to flow again that the leaves broke off and would fall. So that's, that's what would happen. So we look at like our uh, life and we say, we're dead. We're these dead trees. And there is no life in us. There's nothing mm -hmm. to recommend us to God, yeah. right? There's nothing going to happen. Mm -hmm. So... Um, Unless the Holy Spirit is in us, will we produce fruit? Will we produce these trees? But if we're still dead, then we're just pretending. The, mm -hmm. the leaves aren't really doing their job. They're just there. They're not coming off. Yeah. And nothing's going to make them off. And so we, mm -hmm. we are doing this now where we, we think that we are, by behaviorism, going to recommend ourselves to God. But, and we can. We can be a, sad, a Pharisee and do something like that where we can keep the Sabbath better than anybody. Yeah. Uh, so good that we'll walk by somebody who's suffering. Yeah. But unless we have the Holy Spirit in us, we're not really going to be keeping the Sabbath because it's not mm. us who does it. It's yeah. God who does it. And it probably takes 
a long, long time for us to be completely changed over to yeah. the way we're supposed to be. Because when you look at growth, we look at what our brains do, and we tend to think that our bodies are somehow filled with a spirit, like our own ghost. And I, I believe this when I was Catholic, and I think most of the world believes this, and I think even as an Adventist, we still believe something of this because it lasted so long. <laughs> but really, we have physical growth going on. If yeah. we are listening to the Holy Spirit, then our neural pathways will begin to form in a direction that they wouldn't have formed before. So there's actually a physiological change going on <laughs> in our minds and in our bodies. And so some things may become habit, but it's only becoming habit because there is actually the brain, which is the same, has altered its chemistry. It's altered its thinking to where it's now thinking holy thoughts in direct response to the Spirit's action. So if we don't allow people to grow, if we continually condemn them, then they're going to leave and they'll grow the other way. Our minds are plastic. We're constantly going one way or the other. Absolutely. I love it. And I love that metaphor. A lot of love it cards on that one, by the way. I want to get to the rest of the comments, but I also want to let the choir go so they can get ready. I just want to share this with you. You've heard all of us as a community come to the same conclusion. If you invite the Holy Spirit into your heart, he changes you. Just like the last comment, literally changes your mind. And you ultimately have the mind of Christ. If in your life you've been struggling and saying, I just need to feel like I'm making progress, the next steps, closer to God, doing what I need to, thinking how I need to, uh, need to being the witness God made me to be, fulfilling my life's calling, it's just one thing. God says it over and over in Scripture. Invite the Holy Spirit in, but give Him the room to control you. Give Him control. Because if you're self-righteous, you're lost. If you're self-controlled, you're lost. But if the Holy Spirit produces in you self-control that you can never have, you have life and peace. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode. It's my prayer that you truly will every single day just invite the Holy Spirit into your heart. He will change you and he will make your relationship with God absolutely free from all fear. Now, next episode, we want you to come back because we are concluding this series with a very important thing to know about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can be four things to your life. And if you understand those four things, it will completely help you understand not only your relationship with the Holy Spirit, but help you understand your relationship with your own personal salvation granted to you from God. And if you can grasp this right now, the rest of your life will be full of victorious moments. So I invite you to come back for episode 24. Hope to see you then. Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at Programs are recorded each Saturday at 10.30 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.